Sorry, I'm a little late. I was up very late last night working. I've got an office in China, so it's a little bit hectic last night. They, of course, there's a lot of, there's some, you know, if those of you have heard me talk about business, things I like about outsourcing, things I don't like about outsourcing. I'm not a big outsourcer. I don't think you can deal. I've had it offices around the world, and so I've learned different cultures and stuff, but I tend to like uh, uh, working with people I can see sitting next to me. There are exceptions. And the downside, of course, is weird time zones. So, all right. We're going to talk about a fascinating book here. Uh... So, welcome to today's Book of the Day show. Streaming this live from Hollywood. Why do beautiful people have more daughters? Miller and Kanazawa. Now, this book, I'm going to warn you here, it's a little bit controversial. Uh, Whenever I bring up this subject and I say, hey, did you know that good-looking parents have more, you know, Good-looking parents have more daughters than sons. People are like, no, that can't be, or what does that mean? Or, you know, or actually, most people go, wait a second, you know, do I have daughters or sons? That's a good way to gauge if you're beautiful. Not really. Uh, it's not exactly that straight line. So if you have a lot of sons, do not uh, freak out and think you're ugly. But there is, as we'll learn here over the next few minutes here in this show... There's amazing science about how your body and how your DNA works. Now, this is relevant, what we're going to learn, to all of the areas. You know, I talk about the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness. This book is what I would consider a book about love and our social relationships. Remember, this extrapolates out into every area of those, uh, every of those, uh, every area of those three other pillars about health, certainly about money. Uh, and definitely about human happiness. There's more than I can go into, obviously. If you want to see my notes here, I've got just tons and pages of notes uh, from this book when I read it. But I'm going to cover, you know, one or two things that I can get to. And then, by the way, you can now buy this book from me. I've got a special deal right on my site. So if you click, should be a button that pops up. Or if you listen to this later just on audio, you can go to tylopez.com. Look for the link to the book deals, okay, the book of the day deals that I've launched. So I've got all kinds of special deals. You get all kinds of bonuses. You could buy this book at Amazon. Feel free to, you know, get it at your local bookstore, but you won't get all the other stuff I'm about to give you. Uh, So click on the link and check out what the deal is uh, for this book, Why Beautiful People Have Daughters. So I remember this book. It opens up by saying something that if you're in the 67 steps I talk about, and it's a little bit where I got the inspiration uh, for what he, uh, for what he kind of, what I spoke of in the 67 steps in one of the chapters. He says in the introduction, and by the way, if you're doing my smart reading, which is my seven step system on how to not speed read, but smart read, so you remember what you read. By the way, if you buy this book from us, we usually throw that in free, $100 value, but This book is about human nature. Human nature is one of those things that everybody knows and uses in their daily conversation. But that is difficult to define precisely. What is human nature? Now, listen to this. This is important that you understand this. I call this in the 67 steps. 
I call it the whisper of 10,000 generations. That's my wording. He says it this way. Every time, I'm going to personalize, every time you fall in love, every time you fight with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend, every time you enjoy watching a favorite TV show, every time you get scared walking at night in a bad neighborhood where tough young men loiter, every time you're upset about the influx of immigrants into your country, every time you go to church, you are in part behaving as a human animal. This means two things. So write this down. If I know a lot of you take notes. He says, first, your thoughts, feelings, and behavior are produced not only by your individual experience and environment, but also by what happened to your ancestors, he says, millions of years ago. Our human nature is the cumulative product of the experiences of our ancestors in the past, and it affects how we think, feel, and behave today. You know, I, I posted, if you're on my la- one of my last shows, I talked about this book called Diet Cults. Check it out on, on my site or on YouTube for the replay because obviously it's very controversial. Some per- Let me see if I can find this comment. This, is, this person who made this comment should have read this book because they didn't understand something. Here's what this person... Now, I'm not going to argue with you whether you should be a vegan or eat meat. All right, that's not the point of today's call. Uh, he says right here, Uh, if we can thrive perfectly well on a vegan diet, why eat meat or dairy then? As you say, we adapt. So why cause unnecessary harm to innocent beings? That's this person, uh, Nicholas Hansen, who commented on YouTube. He said, oh, I forgot. It's the taste and tradition. So he was saying that sarcastically, saying, oh, well, look, the only reason people eat meat and dairy is, oh, it's the taste. Well, I'm not going to argue pro or con against veganism, but I'm going to say, according to this book and these scientists, if we have a taste for meat and dairy, that's what they scientists call functional tastes. Never forget that. Functional. What does that mean? It's not what you think we use in common English. In science, functional means it wouldn't exist in our brain as a preference if it didn't serve some purpose. So before you immediately discount milk or dairy, you have to go, well, why do we crave milk or dairy? Probably anything we crave when done in the proper moderation is healthy for us or else it wouldn't exist. If you don't believe me, well, let's take another common uh, feeling that humans have that people often say this we shouldn't have, jealousy. Dr. David Buss, a friend, I look up to him a lot, one of the preeminent and most respected scientists in the world. He wrote a book, and the subtitle is Why Jealousy is Not, uh, I'm going to misquote it here, Why Jealousy is Not Only Normal, but It's impor- Just as Important as Feeling the Feeling of Love. See, jealousy in moderation is an adaptive trait that's in our brain, it's part of human nature. The key is, and I don't have time to get into this, and that's not the purpose of this book, is that sometimes our positive, our useful, adaptive feelings are out of place in a world of seven billion people and all this technology. But I don't think we should instantly dismiss, like this person dismisses my comment and says, 
well, why would you eat meat or dairy just because you like the taste? No, if we like the taste, that's a clue from Mother Nature that it's probably has served a purpose to have that level of protein and that level of fat. Now, you could argue we may not need it now, but that's we'll talk about that later. But now listen to this. Second, because human nature is universal, uh, our thoughts, feelings, and behavior are shared to a large extent by all humans on earth. Despite seemingly large cultural differences, our daily experiences are essentially the same as those people from Aberdeen, Bombay, and Cairo to Xi'an, Yukon, and Zanzibar. You're going to hear a lot of people falsely say things like, I'll give you an example, oh, the media just has created this idea of what beautiful is. Well, I tend to not be a big fan of modern media, but I don't want to be inaccurate in what I say. It's not really true. Uh, what you see, of, now this is going to get me in trouble, but as you guys know, I never run away from trouble. <laughs> I'm a sucker for an argument uh, as long as it's per for a purpose, not just to argue, but to try to spread good ideas. Those of you who know, some of you are my business program. Life is about, especially your career, creating a one-sentence destiny plan. If you don't have that, I don't care if you're already making a million dollars or not. I believe that there's clear evidence that without a clear purpose, once that you can say in one sentence, that passes what I call my 96-year-old grandmother test, meaning not too complicated, not too many syllables, under 15 words, and very specific. So my very specific one is to spread good ideas, and I define good as accurate ideas using mass media. So here I am on a TV show, uh, wherever you're listening to this, and I'm okay with spreading something controversial. People say, uh, and this book's about you know beauty and nature, people say that all this cover of magazines is artificially creating a sense of what's beautiful. I would say that statement is beyond inaccurate. It's blatantly false. If you look throughout history, and that's the second point he says here in the introduction, uh, as you look throughout history, the ratios that have been considered beautiful are universal. You know, depending on uh, what research you read, there's a ratio in the face. It's called the golden mean. If you divide, you know, this by this, they have all kinds of different ratios. The distance of your eyes and so on. Uh, the hip to waist ratio for men and uh, for women. For men, it's been the shoulder to waist ratio. These ratios were the same thing that were uh, was being sculpted a thousand years ago when Michelangelo was doing, you know, his work, it's the same ratio if you don't believe me. What do you think would happen if you took a picture or an image or you took Danny DeVito, the actor, the fat, not very good looking actor. You took Brad Pitt, okay? You took them in a time machine anywhere in the world to any culture. Who do you think would be considered more attractive? You see, some things are cultural, and some things aren't, and the understanding of beauty is much more universal. Now, there have been different times in history, remember what a ratio is. People go, well, now we like really skinny models, but the ratios haven't changed. And there's reasons, functional reasons why. For example, if a man's shoulder to width, uh, hip ratio is off, or a woman's 
uh, uh, hip-to-waist ratio off, it's a sign of health issues. Not always, but generally. If you see a man with a big pot belly, okay, a huge stomach, women have universally not been attracted to that. That's not a product of Glamour magazine. That's a mistake, and anybody who studies history will see. Women were talking about tall, dark, and handsome men thousands of years ago. Read the Greek classics, the same thing they were looking for. You know, the six-pack was still attractive, and there's a reason why. Your testosterone levels as a male is directly related to your six-pack. If women were attracted to Danny DeVito fat men, and another set of women were attracted to Brad Pitt, the Brad Pitt type men were more fertile and there'd be more of them on the planet, which is what there is today. No matter what your religious beliefs, natural selection is agreed upon by everybody. And if you don't believe me, look at the food you're eating. It's a process of natural selection. We don't use the same bulls for the same cows as we did a thousand years ago. We continually are selecting the most fit. Now, these things get out of whack. I'm not saying everything in the media about beauty is correct. Sometimes it's very extreme and inaccurate. But the general understanding that, you know, for a man or a woman, you got to control your weight in general. And there's been times where very plump women have been more attractive, but the ratio was still the same. And even today, men are still attracted. Not all men are attracted to very skinny women. So it's not universal that you have to be a bean pole of, you know, 15% body fat as a woman. Uh, what you see on New York runway uh, models is probably an exaggeration. Well, we know it is. But look throughout, throughout the mass media. One of the most, uh, the most watched TV show is Kim Kardashian. She's very curvy. But if you look throughout history, it's a healthy ratio in general now. Kim Kardashian may or may not have plastic surgery, and that's a whole other conversation. But I'm going to keep going here because I want to keep answering this question is, why do beautiful people have more daughters? Now, the controversial part of this book, uh, I've just kind of laid out. If you and I agree that there are universals, by the way, did you notice, did you know that 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, Native Americans in the United States, uh, the Plains Indians, they were doing uh, plastic surgery. If a woman's nose was had some, you know, maybe it was a big nose or something, they would do plastic surgery. They didn't read Glamour magazine. If it, was if it wasn't universal and it's just a product of media that women want to do plastic surgery, then why were they doing it then? Why did Greek women dye their hair blonde? Being blonde has had a certain attractiveness and there's a reason in this book not maybe I'll go into it. the main reason that they think men are attracted to blonde hair and why millions of women dye their hair blonde. It's not because you know women say I'm not doing it for men. Yes, you are. You're not doing it for men per se. You're doing it for uh, to be understood as attractive by other women because it's functional. There's a reason women from an evolutionary psychology standpoint would want other women to consider themselves uh, to be to consider them beauty and there's obviously a reason why you'd want men to consider yourself beautiful blonde hair for example generally is a denotes youthfulness so even in sweden i i, I love sweden norway where there's a tremendous amount of blonde hair uh men and women the younger somebody is 
the more blonde their hair is. Most Swedish people are born, even myself, I, you see how dark my hair is? When I was born in my picture, that very light hair, it almost looked red uh, and a little blonde tinge. So when women dye their hair blonde, it's a cue that they're trying to give off that, see, I'm young, see, I'm young. Why do women get boob jobs so much around the world? Not just in Los Angeles, and it's not just uh, something because of the media. The reason it took off is because women having more firm boobs denotes youth. And once again, going back to what I was talking about, a functional purpose. Now, I'm not saying that women should dye their hair blonde. I'm just explaining why it is. And whatever your belief, you might be on this, and I believe there's a lot of different approaches to life, not just one. And you might be on this show listening going, I hate that about the modern world. I hate that we're pushed so much into beauty. That's fine. I respect that. You might be somebody who just goes with the flow. Whatever it is, what Alan Nation, my second mentor, told me is very important. He said, Ty, before you change anything, let's say you're a feminist and you think women are being exploited. His advice to you was before you try to change anything, first seek to understand precisely why it is, why it is, uh, why it is like it is today. And don't oversimplify or falsely diagnose the problem. Uh, the problem is a lot of people wanna, they wanna say, you know, hey, women, don't get all your value just from looks. Don't go crazy with plastic surgery and all this stuff. And hey, I'm a fan here in Hollywood and Beverly Hills, even worse, I see I am not a fan of this insane craze of weird plastic surgery. I think it looks horrible for the most part. Although I do think there's times it's fine. But if you are even more extreme than me, right? You're not gonna solve the problem if you misdiagnose the underlying cause. If you're a doctor and you walk in and you go, oh, this person has colon cancer. You see clearly they're sick and you wanna help them, but you diagnose it as colon cancer and the truth is they have a brain tumor, you're gonna kill them and you're gonna kill your hopes of changing it. And it's the same with you and I. The reason you must read books like this, whether or not you like what it says, like Richard Dawkins says in The Selfish Gene, which is the book of the day deal, I also the top five book I believe everyone should read. He said, just because you intensely believe something shouldn't be, doesn't mean you should put your head in the sand and not read about it, not learn about it. The world is more complicated. Mother Nature's not as kind as you think to people. You don't believe me? Take a safari in Africa. That's the real world that we live in. Hopefully we can soften the blow with civilization. But he says now, after he goes through this, you know, question of uh, our universal adaptive likes, he starts going into things. Sex differences appear on the first day of life. A lot of people tell you, no, 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 no. It's, it's all society that makes men and women act differently. And again, there's a lot of truth to that. But there's also truth to the flip side. Always seek to disconfirm your uh, hypothesis. It's called disconfirming evidence. It's the mark of a refined mind. Try to disprove yourself. He says, University of Cambridge psychologist Simon Baron Cohen and his associates have conducted a careful experiment with one-day-old babies. Now, those babies are not watching the Kardashian show. They're not reading the tabloids. So 
they're pretty pure in terms of their motivations. They said they simultaneously presented a picture of a woman's face and a mechanical mobile, like those little toys, to 102 newborn babies. They videotaped to measure which object they paid more attention to. Isn't this amazing what you're about to read? Their analysis shows that more boys preferred to look at the mechanical mobiles, and in contrast, women looked at faces. At one day old, men were more interested in mechanical stuff. Cars, <laughs> you know, wrenches. When I was a little boy, I was fascinated by big, like, uh, caterpillar bulldozers and stuff. At one day old. So if you think that men and women are just built, uh, are just built the same but created different by society, read this research, okay? Could be wrong. Some research is incorrect. But there's more in a very ingenious experiment. Jerry on Alexander and Melissa Hines gave two stereotypical masculine toys, a ball and a police car, and two stereotypically feminine toys, a soft doll and a cooking pot, and two neutral toys, a picture book and a stuffed dog, to 44 male and female vervet monkeys. As you can guess, once again, the women were examining, the female monkeys were examining the faces, the parts of the body. And the male monkeys were pushing the police cars around. Vroom, vroom, vroom. Now you might say, well, we're not monkeys. There's an interesting science, it's not in here, but you can Google it, where uh, other things like beauty, babies will stare if you put two faces, magazine covers, one is a beautiful, consider, you know, societally considered beautiful face, and you put an ugly face. Babies will look more at the model. And the reason that the media puts supermodels is not because they're trying to ruin the world. It's because even from a baby, you and I are more likely to look at it. And if you're selling magazines, you want people to look at what you're doing. So I find... That I think that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, what about culture? Is anything cultural? And he said, of course, lots of things are cultural. What you eat, for example, is cultural. That's what the point of that book, Diet Cult. He was saying we must be more agnostic, not be in a diet cult, and understand that uh, the body is incredibly adaptive. There couldn't be one diet because people live in different climates. Some people had to eat more fruit. And the Eskimos had to be able to thrive, and they have thrived for thousands of years and generations with no fruit, basically. Maybe a little berries in the spring and summer, but predominantly whale blubber. So there's a tremendous variety of adaptability, but there are constants. For example, love is a constant. Dr. Helen Fisher says, falling in love, she studied every mammal on the planet, and she says with well, 100% of them, at times experience love at first sight. Elephants, female elephants, seeing a male elephant and falling, getting all crazy. Ducks, she said. You see, there's much more to how we're programmed. Now there's a flip side to this, which I don't have time to go into. Dr. Sharon Molum in the book Inheritance talks about how you're not locked into every part of your DNA. If you're born with a temper, you have a DNA predisposition, you can morph that somewhat. All right. 
Now, let's get to this question. By the way, some of you, you can always reach out to me, at Ty Lopez. Uh, I answer questions. I'm going to be talking, uh, and, and I answer those here in this live. I saw some, I don't know if I'll have time. There were some questions yesterday from the show. But if you ever have questions while I'm doing this, go ahead and put them in, at Ty Lopez on Twitter. And then you can put them on Facebook.com slash Ty Lopez official. Here's the part about blonde hair. You want to read the science about blonde hair? There's a lot here. You want to know about blue eyes? Why are people attracted to blue eyes? Talks about why men are fooled by plastic surgery. Pick up this book. Should be a button showing right below here. Why beauty is not in the not skin deep. It's not in the eye of beholder. Now, talks about some controversial stuff. Why is prostitution the world's oldest profession? And why is pornography a billion-dollar industry? All right. So. Why do beautiful people have more daughters? First, let me set the stage. Imagine there's two very poor families in India, or a very poor country, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, very poor countries, okay? There's There's a family that has all boys, and there's a family that has all girls, okay? The first family that has all boys is a very good-looking family. Parents are Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. The girl, the family that has girls is the same thing, a very beautiful family. Uh, Who's a beautiful family in Hollywood? Uh, Jennifer Aniston and uh, she married someone. All right. No, the parents who's good. All right, I'm getting there. I already used them. All right, so so much for my help from the set here. Uh, but let's say Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie's twins, okay? Now, they have kids. Now, we all know it's somewhat related. You somewhat look like your parents. Beautiful parents don't always have beautiful kids at all, but generally they have more, you, you inherit the facial stuff. So, and the overall body. So. Which family is most likely to be able to use their looks, if that's all they have, they're very poor, they have no money to put their kids to college, no money to even educate, no money to even rise above the very basic mundane needs. The family that has all girls versus the family that has boys. Well, the family that has only boys. Boys, for right or wrong, tend to not be so rewarded by their looks. In fact, in my experience, you know, I do a, an event at my house where I invite in 60 of the top entrepreneurs in the world. We're talking people doing a million bucks a day, at the, you know, people under 30 worth five, six hundred million dollars. I will tell you universally, there's no supermodels in the room. For a man to get ahead in stereotypically masculine endeavors, or in just business, which is, could be men or women, Looks are relatively unimportant, okay? So a boy, two boys in Bangladesh, where they'll never have any business opportunities, many great people, the next Bill Gates, has been born and died in, the, the, in poverty in Bangladesh or India, passing on looks would not be of much help to the male. But, and there's a lot of research, there's... You know, he quotes this research, uh, Trivers. Uh, so this is, I want you to know this is not just 
purely uh, Trivers-Willard hypothesis, the generalized Trivers-Willard. So I'm bringing the, explain why. If women, if daughters are born more beautiful though, beauty has the ability to allow women throughout all societies, okay, to rise from poverty to wealth, sometimes just on their beauty. You see that throughout history. You see that with royalty, marrying non-royalty. It's oftentimes marrying a, a girl who is very beautiful. Now, again, don't get angry at me and say that I'm saying this is the way it should be. I'm not. If your goal is to change that, go ahead. I'm just telling you today in the past why it's been that way. So, our DNA begins to understand. And it's obviously your DNA is not alive like a person doing rational thinking. But the process of selection has selected a process identified by this Trevor, Trivers Willard that we will give birth to the kind of children that in general will have an advantage from what we pass on to them. So very engineering, very mathematical families tend to have more boys in poor countries like Bangladesh and India. Why? Because boys need in those countries can't use looks. So it's a tool for those boys to be passed on with something they can use to rise up. And it's a tool for parents to pass on to daughters their good looks. So what they found, again, very controversial. A lot of people will be angry about what they found, but it says, well, the sex ratio at birth among the general population is about 51%. That is 105 boys for every 100 girls. The study shows that the sex ratio among engineers and other systematizers, like more mathematical, is 0.58. 140 boys for every girl. Okay? He says violent men seem to have more sons. He says because violence was probably a routine means in the male competition for mates in the ancestral environment, tendencies toward violence was adaptive. That means functional and had a purpose for ancestral men, but not for women. Accordingly, violent men have more sons, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. Women are more beautiful than men because beautiful parents have more daughters than sons. That's the hypothesis. Let me just say, as I always like to provide you with as holistic of advice and, and research, there's some research that didn't found, find this correlation, that did seem to disprove all oh, these beautiful people having more daughters. You know, the most respected science seems to say there is something to this, but... The goal for you is begin to think a little different than everybody else. Don't just read the status quo. Don't just read something because it feels good to believe it. It doesn't feel good to watch a lion kill a sick or a young, you know, antelope. But it's the way it is. And before you uh, step in and try to change biology, be careful. It's a dangerous thing. And it must be done by skilled people. I believe there's much change that must be done, but only by skilled social surgeons. Not by people who are trying to fix a brain tumor by operating on the colon or trying to fix, you know, a broken leg by amputation. We need people who diagnose correctly. 
reach out, read this book. You're going to find out all kinds of interesting uh, concepts from these uh, Satoshi Kanazawa. These are both from highly respected schools, London School of Economics, Department of Behavioral Science at Hokkaido University. Now, one of the things that I think is important in that this book touches on is that in the same way that we see this process of change, right? We look for universals and then we try to apply them to right now. I was reading and I post on my, my social that uh, everything you learn, it's being becoming outdated. Uh, they say 20% of what you learn, I should say, becomes outdated every, 20, uh, every 18 months. Let's say you're a doctor. Say you went to school, college years ago. Say you're a business person. Those things that you've learned, much of it becomes outdated because we're in the technological age. So fast of research, trial, error, and innovation. So the reason I recommend you buy a book like this is because you have to keep ahead of the curve. This is about your social life, about how you understand love and happiness. Now, in a few minutes, as you know, this is my first show of the day. I'm going to be doing a private seminar where I'm going to talk about if it's true that every 18 months, 20% of what you know is outdated in other areas, what about business? It's the same way. If you're trying to make money, whether you work for somebody else, you have a career, or you're an entrepreneur, I'm about to talk about the new rules of money. Very important. So I'm going to take a five-minute break. There should be a button right below here. Join me on that. I do these business talks. It's about wealth. You must have financial freedom. It's good to know things like uh, this book. And it's also important to remember that all the knowledge in the world won't help your stress levels if every month you're worried about paying your bills. Okay? Or if you're an entrepreneur and you feel like everything's in chaos, it's because you're not understanding the new rules of money. We're going to be talking about those. Uh, I take five minutes to eat my breakfast and drink my drink. So if you're watching this, I want you to answer a question. To close this out, you can reach out on Twitter. If you're watching this as a replay on YouTube or wherever you're watching now on my site, here's the question for you. What's a commonly held belief that you thought was societal? Something in society you thought was just from the media, but now you're realizing is something innate and universal inside of us. All right? Maybe how you approach beauty, what you should look like, blonde hair, violence, all those things. Answer a commonly held myth that's good. you're going to now be able to bust. You're going to be able to be, uh, you're not going to be like everybody else that's just spouting off whatever they hear. You're going to be basing your life on the most accurate knowledge that we have. All right? Talk to you soon. See you in five minutes. Register free by clicking the button, and uh, I will talk to you soon.